Welcome back, everyone, to Astro Skeptic, the astrology podcast for skeptics. We are so excited to have y'all back with us. Really, you have no idea. In this episode, we are going to be giving you a brief history lesson on astrology and give you an idea of how astrology came about, how it transformed, how it grew to have the somewhat negative connotations that it has today. Also, We've decided to add a disclaimer to our intro that we will not be censoring this podcast for explicit language. We definitely won't be discussing anything vulgar, but you might hear a swear word or two as you go along, or 15. Paige's job in the editing room is already tedious enough, and since we don't anticipate many children listening in, we figured we'd give you all a little notice. And as per usual, I'll let Paige get started. First things first, we need to talk to you about our hero, idol, and comrade, Roy Gillett. Roy is the president of the Astrological Association based in the United Kingdom. He's a brilliant man, and in 2012, he published a book called The Secret Language of Astrology, which we absolutely love here on Astroskeptic. Reva and I are unapologetically using this book as a framework for this episode because... There's a lovely section at the beginning that discusses the history of astrology, and we figure nobody's going to do it better than our boy Roy. We're going to be taking you on an astrological journey through time, starting at the beginning of documented human history. We will then alternate discussing the different major periods of astrological history from the Babylonians to the 21st century. And I would just like to point out that you are going to see a perfect example of how important the totality of someone's natal chart is in in determining their personality. Paige and I have the same exact rising and moon sign, but you're going to see that we present information very differently. So here is a brief history of astrology, starting at the very beginning. It's almost impossible to know what life was like for the earliest man on Earth because all we have to know him by are fossils and maybe a few preserved ancient cave drawings. There is, however, enough evidence to prove that since man has been on Earth, he has looked up to the stars and not only wondered but paid attention. Roy references a book called A History of Modern Astrology by Dr. Nicholas Campion, which cites reports that remains of Homo sapiens who existed between 350,000 and 250,000 BCE have been found buried alongside animal bones that appear to have 28 notches carved into them. These animal bones are believed to have been used to mark off the days of the lunar month. Roy notes that similar bones were also discovered dating back to 35,000 BCE. In Bordeaux, France, at the Musée d'Aquitaine, there is a carving of limestone taken from a rock shelter in the commune of Marquet called the Venus of L'Ocelle. This carving dates back to 22,000 BCE and depicts a woman holding a crescent-shaped horn with 13 notches carved into it, one for each of the lunar months. In another part of France, Paintings discovered in the Lascaux cave complex outside of Montignac date back to 15,000 BCE and are claimed to feature representations of the night sky that include constellation Pleiades. Similar stories and myths of Pleiades being chased in the sky by Orion, 
are found in cultures as far apart as classical Greece and the Australian Aborigines, whose migration to Australia dates back to at least 40,000 BCE. Ancient stone circles found all over Europe and the Middle East are further proof of man's early obsession with the stars. Some of these circles date as far back as the 9th millennium, their prevalence peaking between 5,000 and 2,000 BCE. The majority of these monolith constructions are believed to have marked solstices and equinoxes or aided the calculation of the lunar calendar and eclipses. Chinese astrology is believed to date back to the 3rd millennium BCE or earlier, with the most prevalent historical evidence emerging from the Shang dynasty in 1500 BCE. Since that time, the Chinese have developed a very sophisticated and complex astrological philosophy, including the well-known cycle of the 12 different animals that rule each year. Although Chinese astrology differs vastly from Western astrology, the archetypes within Chinese astrology are still calculated from time, date, and place of birth. In Central and South America, the Mayans also incorporated many astrological traditions into their daily lives and culture, evident in their numerous calendrical calculations revolving around sacred numbers linked to the lunar cycles. Yeah, I mean, we all remember 2012, hashtag never forget. Mesoamerican astrology is definitely most known for the contributions of the Maya. Their astrological calendars and the Aztecs are the most studied and understood. They tracked the movements of the planets, created a 360-day solar calendar, and a 260-day ritual calendar. They also wrote horoscopes that would determine the profession of its citizens, i.e. priest, soldier, civil servant, or the short end of the stick, sacrificial victim. And now, Riva's going to talk about astrology in the Babylonian period. All right, to give you guys some reference, Babylonia was a state in ancient Mesopotamia. The city of Babylon was founded in 2300 BCE, and it was located on the Euphrates River in present-day Iraq, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. The earliest tablets found from this region date to about the 3rd millennium BCE, and they depict the Babylonians having an understanding of the sun, the moon, and five planets, and use them to guide decision-making. The physical movement of the planets were seen as a method of communication with the gods, as interpreted then by priest. Movement of planets was passed on as common knowledge and law. People kept astrological diaries and passed them on to family. Through the mixing of culture, slowly, over thousands of years, Persians to Egyptians, Mesopotamians, Greeks, Romans, etc., developed the 12 zodiac sign that we recognize today, as shown on tablets from around 400 BCE. Here's a fun fact that mildly blew my mind. The Magi, wise men, three dudes with fancy clothes from the nativity scene, were actually astrologers following what was labeled the Star of Bethlehem, but was most likely an astrological event, i.e. Halley's Comet or some planetary alignment that occurred around the alleged birth of Christ. Egyptians, well, we know they were obsessed with the sky and the afterlife. They believed their gods lived in the heavens and us lowly humans had to ascend after death. Their pyramids were designed with precise planetary alignment, but their astrological beliefs varied greatly from what most practice today. They had a way different dealio with the stars based on deacons, which are 36 small constellations in Egyptian astrology. 
And as Paige is about to dive into, it was in Alexandria that Babylonian astrology was mixed with the Egyptian tradition of decanic astrology to create horoscopic astrology, incorporating the Babylonian zodiac with its system of planetary exaltations, the triplicity of the signs, and the importance of eclipses in the Egyptian concept of dividing the zodiac into 36 deacons with an emphasis on the rising deacon. This is maybe sounding familiar to you. And the Greek system of planetary gods and sign rulership and four elements. So I just wanted to take a second to talk about how important the Babylonian period in history is and how I feel like it isn't talked about very much in pop culture. Many people inherently know at least something about astrology as it relates to Greek and Roman culture, but not so much about the significance of astrology in Babylon. In fact, I had to look up where Babylon physically was while I was doing research for this episode. I think the main reason for this is because of the lack of Western tourism and access to historical sites in Iraq and many parts of the Middle East due to the most recent and current political climate in history. The truth is, however, that Babylon was a very advanced society that played an integral part in human history, astrology included. It's interesting that you bring that up, Paige, because that relates to something that I think we should address that, slight disclaimer again, this is a synopsis of astrology largely from a westernized perspective, not encompassing very broadly Eastern practices or history, but we do want to work within the context of what's most familiar. The reason that our history lesson focuses mostly on Western astrology is because Western astrology is what gave us the foundation of modern astrology. Speaking of which, now here's the moment you've all been waiting for, Greco-Roman astrology. So due to its massive significance within astrological history, this part might be a little winded, so bear with me. Proof of astrological practices in Greece before 500 BCE are scattered and point mostly to a lingering Babylonian influence. The most prominent era of Greek astrology was around 400 BCE and brought to prominence by history's most famous philosopher and astrologer, Plato. Plato founded an academy in Athens that survived until 529 CE, astrology being one of its many studies. Plato embraced much of Babylonian astrology, but rejected its more fatalistic and manipulative purposes. Plato helped to transform astrology and incorporated it into his total philosophical understanding of the cosmos, aka the world soul. He believed that the planets were in the heavens to reveal the creator's unfolding ideas. In his Socratic dialogue named Republic, written in 375 BCE, Plato declared that, quote, The true pilot must give his attention to the time of year, the seasons, the sky, the winds, the stars, and all that pertains to the art, if he is to be a true ruler of the ship. By the 4th century BCE, the Greeks had already theorized that the earth was round and that it, Venus, and Mercury revolved around the sun. After Alexander the Great conquered Mesopotamia in 331 BCE, the Great Library at Alexandria was established, bringing together a wide range of scholarship and teachings from all over the Hellenistic world, which at that time included the entire eastern Mediterranean region. In the 3rd century BCE, 
Erastothenus, a Greek mathematician and the library's second librarian, measured the circumference of the earth by placing a stick in the ground and doing some math. In Alexandria, Greek and Babylonian astrology became inextricably intermingled. Roy Gillett claims that the first documentary evidence of a person with a Greek name using a birth chart can be found on a clay tablet listing the astrological birth information for a baby born June 3rd, 235 BCE. Gemini Sun represent. <laughs> the Romans began their domination of Greece after their victory in the Battle of Corinth in 146 BCE. And it was at this point that the two cultures began to blend and influence each other quite heavily. The greatest example of this can be found in the works of Claudius Ptolemy, arguably the most famous astrologer in history besides Plato. Ptolemy was born in Alexandria during the transitional 200 or so year period when the city was shifting from Ptolemaic Egyptian rule to Roman rule. According to Britannica.com, Ptolemy was ethnically Greek or Hellenized Egyptian, but considered a citizen of Rome. He was a successful astronomer and astrologer, his most notorious astrological publication being a four-part treatise titled Tetrabiblos, which is the most Greek-sounding thing ever, <laughs> and described the movement of planets and stars without magical or religious overtones and indicated their qualities along with rules for interpretation. Astrology came to Rome along with the other fruits of his vast imperial conquests, and transformed itself to adhere to the rational, materialistic, and politically manipulative nature of Roman society. Initially, astrology was dismissed in Rome as unworldly and foreign. In the centuries that followed, it was widely rejected by Roman intellectuals on the grounds that it seemed to be seeking messages from the gods, which was deemed to be a form of blasphemy. Despite the rejection of rulership, the public at large often still found much interest in astrology and began studying and practicing it privately. Eventually, the Roman elite also took an interest, using it for political and high society machinations, which is another way of saying they were scheming. Astrologers advising the rich and powerful often led a hazardous existence. They were often punished for negative predictions and even accused of being complicit in negative outcomes. Due to this, astrologers working within high society became obsessed with not only trying to successfully predict events, but with causing positive events to occur. Unfortunately, death was often the price of failure. This toxic culture within the astrological community would inevitably lead to a period of destruction and ignorance. How familiar. Although significant advances were made in the recording and use of astrological cycles and methods in the early centuries CE, they tended to be used with questionable motivation for simplistic everyday forecasting. Also sounds familiar. This type of behavior, unfortunately, exposed astrologers to challenges they were ill-equipped to answer. This led to increased criticism and distrust of astrology, especially through the lens of early Christianity. In 325 CE, Constantine I sought to cleanse the Greco-Roman worldview of all that was deemed pagan, accusing astrology of being a demonic practice seeking to deny man of free will. Adding insult to injury, the Library of Alexandria had accidentally been burnt during Julius Caesar's battle at the port in 48 BCE. 
Nice one, Julius. Causing a significant amount of historical astrological information to be lost. The library's remaining contents were either lost in the 3rd century during Emperor Aurelius' invasion or taken to Constantinople to adorn the new imperial capital. On a brighter side, astrology persisted in Arabic countries and on July 31st, 762 CE, per the advice of the most expert astrologers of the time, the first brick was laid in the city of Baghdad, which would become an impressive cosmopolitan center of agriculture, trade, learning, and arts, including a school of astrology. Arabic astrological studies aided astrology's preservation throughout the next chapter of history. So, in summation, the Romans ruined everything, per usual, just as they ruined themselves. On a side note, the various systems of astrology that are found in India today can also be traced back centuries, even millennia. The recent translation of ancient Greek and Latin texts has revealed just how similar these traditions are to the techniques used by Greek, medieval, and Renaissance astrologers in the West. Riva is now going to discuss astrology throughout the medieval ages, focusing on how the rise of Christianity led to a severe decline in the prominence of astrology. All right, it's no secret that the founders of Christianity were inspired, we'll say, by existing beliefs long held by other cultures and religions. Astrology is, of course, nestled right in there. Christian iconography and storytelling is rife with astrological references. Google that in your own time. The writers of the Old Testament were weary about using astrology as it would usurp God's alleged unending supremacy. But sometime in the 12th century, things started to turn around because, you know, war. Astrology was again employed to help monarchs, popes, and the like predict war and conflict. The Vatican is said to house an extensive astrological collection of books, art, and paraphernalia. It was used in medicine, coronations, it explained atrocities and minuscule happenings alike. Shakespeare loved astrology himself. He referenced it in several of his works, my favorite of which is in Baz Luhrmann's 1996 film starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes and Leo Screams at the Sky. Did I defy you, stars? You guys can picture it right now. Johann Kepler and Galileo both practiced astrology widely. They were both fans of the sun-centered solar system. Um, Galileo wrote birth charts for himself and his family and his patrons, the Medicis and Florence. But generally, in the Middle Ages, for the common man, astrology was pretty fragmented and unsophisticated. They simply did not have access to the knowledge, the text, and the historical documentation. Eventually, Sir Isaac Newton, the ultimate astrological wet blanket, touted the Enlightenment and so-called rationale from the hilltops, and shit really caught on. That is not to hate on the Enlightenment per se. It did serve a crucial role in developing empirical scientific observation and understanding, but astrology was considered an old and outdated practice, even though it was based on thousands of years of observation and study. It just wasn't easy enough to explain. Science couldn't pin it down, and the church didn't outwardly embrace it as it undermined the power of a Christian god, and astrology was a relatively easy fruit to shake off the, quote, science and god tree. It was practiced on a very small scale to those with a penchant for superstition, the dark arts, and the devil's work. Sounds like fun to me. 
Um, but that was the extent of it, largely, in the Middle Ages. However, life in the 18th century was really tough and gross, and a lot of wars were doubling down on the hardships. Folks sought comfort and connection yet again. Astrology was largely a comfort to those who had a pretty hard life, um, especially through the 18th century. I mean, it was tough and gross. Everyone had cholera. There was war all over the place. And astrology was a method to find greater meaning. However, through the 19th and 20th centuries, uh, scientific advancement and the discovery of Uranus and Neptune sparked a renewed interest and fascination in the universe. And with that, a resurgence of astrology. And I truly believe that at the end of days, it will be share cockroaches, and astrology that still exists. And now I'll hand it off to Paige once again to bring it on home. Thanks, Reva. So in the 20th century, astrology had become something radically different than that which was ridiculed and rejected two centuries before. No longer did it seek to find lost objects or predict mundane events. Instead, its sole purpose and goal was to aid in the dissection of the human condition and allow humanity to become more self-aware and change itself for the better. Through the distinguished work of Carl Jung in the early 1900s, shout out once again to my boy Plato, by whom he was heavily influenced, astrology became forever intertwined with the idea of human psychology. Astrology was flourishing in the United States, thanks to several astrologers, most notably Mark Edmund Jones, who, among other things, coined the idea of chart shapes, and Dane Rudyard, a French-American astrologer who published over 40 books relating astrology and spirituality. Europe had an impressive astrological foothold as well, evident by German astrologer Alfred Wietz's founding of the Hamburg School of Astrology, in the 1920s and the development of several astrological institutions in the United Kingdom led by Charles Carter, John Addy, Charles Harvey, and Margaret Hone. Fun fact, during the reign of Nazi Germany, Alfred Witt and his colleague Ludwig Rudolf were pursued by the Gestapo as enemies of the Third Reich. Witt committed suicide before he could be captured Rudolf was captured and sent to a concentration camp. He survived and reinstated the school after the Nazis were defeated in 1945. Based. The 1970s created an even more welcoming atmosphere for astrology to flourish, especially due to the general emphasis on cultural open-mindedness born out of the 1960s. It was at this time that astrology once again became a respected scholarly pursuit and was the time in which many of the well-known astrologers of today got their start, including His Majesty himself, Roy Gillett. Over the next 50 years, astrology has slowly been making its way back into the mainstream. Although the 20th century brought many great accomplishments and advancements to the field of astrology, there is one act of regression that cannot be ignored. The Invention of Star Signs In the 1930s, R. H. Naylor published an astro study in the British Sunday Express newspaper describing a horoscope for the newborn Princess Margaret. Naylor used a progression technique developed by Johann Kepler to predict that, quote, events of tremendous importance to the royal family will come about near to her seventh year 
and these events will indirectly affect her fortunes, end quote. In 1936, her uncle, Edward VIII, abdicated the throne, causing her father to be dubbed the King of England. Due to the popularity of this column and its seemingly correct predictions, the newspaper asked Naylor to give more general predictions to the public at large, leading to his creation of Sun Sign Astrology, which was then copied by newspapers all over the world and continues to be a pain in the ass for me and Riva today. So there you have it. A brief history of astrology as told by us with the help of Father Roy. We hope it didn't bore you, but if you're still listening, you must have found it at least somewhat interesting, which makes us glad because we did kind of go back and forth on how detailed we wanted to be in this episode. We hope we found that sweet spot. Yeah, I did tell Paige it couldn't be a snooze fest. I don't think it was. And before we go on to talk about the future of astrology, I wanted to talk about why I think this episode in particular is very important to the foundation of this podcast. Basically, we here at Astroskeptic want our audience to know that we aren't just casually interested in astrology, and we aren't just here to teach you what kind of sun signs you should date. We take this very seriously, and we want you to as well. We don't see astrology as a tool to analyze someone's personality or pick the best month to start a business, we see astrology as a mechanism for human transcendence and societal betterment. We're always down to have a good time, but we also understand that the line between fun and irresponsibility can often be thin. So we hope that this episode helps to showcase that, in true skeptic fashion, we do our research and we encourage you to do the same. So when it comes to the future of astrology, I think our boy Roy actually has a really interesting quote in this this section of his book. He states, Lacking a value system, contemporary science leaves humanity on the edge of an abyss of amorality. And I think that is really applicable, and it's fucking true. He goes on in this section to compare the basics of astrology with those of karma, and with every action there is an equal or opposite reaction. Quote, astronomers observe heavenly bodies tolerating and reacting to each other proportionately. They see severe consequences when explosions interfere with this flow. In the same way, human anger activates anger, kindness, kindness. Greed expands need and hunger. Working intelligently within the limitations of each moment is the most effective path to tread. Similarly, working with astrocycles clarifies decision and makes life smoother as above, so below. As within, so without. So I agree with Roy. And we said this a little bit in our last episode. But basically, I fundamentally believe that society without some kind of moral compass descends into chaos. And the kind of moral compass we have now was founded, for the most part, on the religions of the past. And as those religions continue to fade out we have to find something to replace them and i feel like the more we learn about astronomy the more we explore space the more astrology just makes sense and the more i think it's proven so in the past doing any kind of astrological calculation took a super long time which is why people who were astrologers were like dedicated to this study and it wasn't as accessible to everyday people But 
now that we have computers, astrology has become accessible to everyday people any time of the day, anywhere you want, any way you want it. There's software that can generate astrological data in seconds. Since the invention of the internet, astrological communities have flourished and thrived. My favorite being the astrological meme accounts on Instagram. (laughs) Computers have also allowed astrologers to look back at human history alongside astrological history and astronomical history in a way that was never possible before allowing us to learn so much more about our past and our future than Plato or Ptolemy could have ever imagined. So thanks for bearing with us as we travel down the long and winding road of the history of astrology. Again, this was brief and there is so much more to learn. We really encourage you to do your own research, whether that be with Roy Gillette or any other accredited astrologer or astrology site. Just make sure you're vetting your sources. So in our next episode, we are finally going to be discussing the fundamentals of astrology, which is what I know you're all really here for. Our first fundamentals episode will be called Astrology 101, and we are going to be discussing the basic makeup of a natal chart so that you can all follow along with us as we continue our dissection of astrology piece by piece. We will be using Roy Gallet's natal chart as a reference next week, and we will tell you where and how to find that, so stay tuned.